The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Hello there, delightful beings. I hope this season is showing you countless opportunities for joy and reflection, joining with the energies of the leaves that are so gracefully demonstrating to us how to let go, how to transition from one way of being to another, how to be in sync and in flow with that natural rhythm of things. Connecting to that flow is something that I can't wait to dig around in right now with my super beautiful guest, Phoebe Leona. Phoebe is an author, a dancer, teacher, TEDx speaker, transformational guide who helps men and women feel more embodied through somatic movement and expanded awareness practices to become more empowered in who they are, who they're becoming, and to have a greater sense of belonging. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's so good to be with you. Oh, I'm excited to be with you. I I didn't get to read cover to cover your beautiful new book, but I I did uh, poke around in it and it was super (laughs) exciting. And uh, I want to invite you to speak about that, of course, and about the somatic practice that sounds so interesting. Um, I love one thing that I, I noted is the the title that you said you had originally wanted to call the book fits in so well with a lot of the work we do at Joy School. You said you wanted to call it Variably Cloudy with Abundant Sunshine. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that just an adorable way to describe what all of us are at best striving for here? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's this idea that joy is always humming underneath it all, or the sun is always shining. We just aren't aware of it, right? Because of the clouds. Whether they're big, like huge clouds or those little wispy clouds, but the sun is always there on the other side of it. Exactly. Exactly. It's a beautiful analogy. We work with a lot as well. And this is a prescriptive memoir. So you are sharing very generously and abundantly from your own life experiences and you're offering tools along the way. You use one of the the tools that we uh, do in Joy School and have talked about here on this podcast, which is that dialoguing with your emotions, writing stream of consciousness letters, as Elizabeth Gilbert prescribes, writing them to the, the emotion itself, the fear or the guilt, 
you presented a little bit differently, but let's just start there for you to tell us how you got started with that practice and how that has unfolded for you and helped you. Yeah, well, I've always been just a journal writer in general my whole life. That was that was one of my therapies as, you know, as you already experienced in my book and anybody out there who reads my book, I, I dealt with various traumas growing up. Um, and so writing was one of my therapies to see things from a different perspective, right? To like actually write it down and go, oh, wow, that's, that was what was inside of me, <laughs> right? Because we feel all of these feelings, but we don't always know how that's actually going to, you know, come out into this world. And so writing it down, dancing, as you already spoke of, that I'm a dancer, those were my two therapies. So I actually had the opportunity to study with Elizabeth Gilbert about, I think it was in 2016, and we did this exercise of writing to fear. And it was really empowering. And as you already spoken, it sounds like you teach it as well. And I thought, ooh, I want to hold on to this. I want to hold on to this experience because it does give you... Um, a new relationship to your emotions specifically, you know, she was talking about fear, but uh, it also, what I realized in that exercise that day was that our emotions like fear really just want to be seen and heard and felt. Right. Mm, and true. so if we can kind of personify them and have a dialogue with them and say, Hey, fear, what are you doing here? Fear, right. Elizabeth Gilbert really talks about that in big magic and then, and then to have fear basically come back and say, you know, this is why I'm afraid. This is why I'm trying to keep you safe, right? You start to have this dialogue with, with the emotions, and then you can negotiate your relationship with them. So when I came to sit about um, this idea of writing Dear Radiant One, my book, I felt like, okay, I'm going to share a lot of vulnerable moments in my life. And this feels really strange to just sit here and write about the things that happened, you know, to me, for me, with me. How am I going to get there where it feels organic and safe? And I can really be truly authentic in my voice. And I thought, well, I've been writing in my journals my this whole life. So what if I write as if I'm writing into my journal? And what if because I'm helping the reader go through their own emotional recovery. What if I'm not writing just in my journal, but what if I am writing to fear, to anger, to grief, to joy, to gratitude? What if I am having this dialogue with, with these emotions and seeing them and feeling them and hearing them as a way of storytelling? And so that was my way in. And when I started to write these letters, I felt really expansive. I felt like I could go into those deeper parts of myself that maybe I would not have been able to if I had just, you know, sort of told my story as is. Because I'm also, as you said, it's a pres prescriptive memoir. So I do shift it from my storytelling into teaching. So I teach the somatic practices, the expanded awareness practices. So it also felt like a nice transition to have this storytelling already in the teaching mode and in some ways, like having this perspective of showing us 
what fear looks like, what anger can feel like through my my perspective, my story, but also so that the reader can sit and read and go, oh yeah, I feel fear that way too. Oh yeah, grief hits me there, right? So they can already get into their story. And then when I shift it directly to the reader, they're there, they're ready for it. So it's not this kind of weird transition of my story and then theirs, right? Beautiful. Yeah, that's so absolutely true that all of these emotions, we we typically store them in our bodies when we don't have the emotional bandwidth to process them. And they just want to be seen and recognized and heard, but also met with compassion and, and just met where they are and, and loved into healing. Otherwise, we just are going to carry that around. We could have a trauma too that stays physically in our body until we're in our 80s because it hasn't ever been properly loved and released. So this is a beautiful yeah. way to help help coax those feelings up and out. I was at a four-day retreat with Greg Braden recently where he showed the actual science behind that. I had been hearing that and teaching that for years and he had slides where there are the cells in our body with these receptor cups on the cells and that every emotion creates a chemical cocktail that forms as a neuropeptide that attaches to the cell and and he could actually visually show us how those cells hold on to that neuropeptide, which keeps the chemistry alive at some yeah. level in our bodies until it's released. And the way to release it is to have that compassion around it and, and recognize it. So it's yeah. A, yeah, it's yeah, there's more to it than I ever realized. I'm still learning how actually yeah. scientific all of that is. It is. There's so and there's so many great books out there that that go deep into what you're what you're speaking of and um you know there's a saying the issues are in your tissues absolutely yeah <laughs> and that's just as simple as that is that we carry these stories around in our bodies we carry these emotions even if we think that we're over something like we're grieving a relationship or or a loss of a loved one if we haven't really given it a place for expression and writing is one of those ways of releasing it. If we have it in the somatic practice that I offer is a movement practice. So if we haven't actually moved that energy because that's what emotions are is energy, right? Energy in motion. If we move that energy out, then we'll, we'll start to transform those cells. We'll start to get the issues out of our tissues and so that's really what my invitation for this this book is is for the reader to recognize that. Yeah, I love and that. Start to transform. Yeah. I, I wanna hear about the somatic practice. It's it, immediately my mind went to in my, my Joy School Oasis group that meets weekly, we also have an optional meditation time where we do some pretty mm -hmm. powerful energetic processes online, you know, in Zoom. And most of us are very still within ourselves and our minds. And one of my beautiful longtime joy schoolers, she's going to laugh when she hears us talking about her, will get up and dance and move and do this like intuitive yoga, like while we're all doing this internal processing. And, and then I was hearing about what you offer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Nan needs to hear this podcast for sure, because she is just naturally doing some sort of somatic processing of these these big energy experiences yes. that we go on yes, so how do you convey that in a me. book yeah <laughs> yes have her come find me um 
how do we do that in the book? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not giving people a step-by-step, like literally stand up and shake your body out, but I am offering them ways of, you know, if you're feeling fearful to give yourself a hug and little squeezes, right? Um, Maybe it is like to literally shake it out, shake your body out. So I'm I'm kind of not walking them through the step-by-step of the choreography of it, I would say, but I'm showing people through the practices and there's also expanded awareness practices that are like meditation and writing in your journal and seeing things from a different perspective. So it's a little bit of both. Um, and then I have my somatic movement practice movement 109, which has its whole, it's codified in a way that I couldn't really write in in a book, but I have programs where I teach that the actual movement of it. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's, and it's really meditation. I think, because we, a lot of us were introduced through yoga to meditation. And that's how I was introduced to meditation formally. When I realized after I started teaching yoga for, you know, I've been teaching for 17 years and I was diving into it. I was like, oh no, I've been meditating this whole time. Movement dance was my meditation, right? It's really just being mindful with your breath, with your body and whatever you're doing. We were taught mostly in the West, meditation is sitting quietly, being still, quieting the monkey mind, right? Also focusing on breath. But I think what's shifting a lot recently is this idea of the body too. The body is also a part of it. And so the body could be still, but in in the Shtanga practice, meditate, the, they looked at Ashtanga as this way of like, oh, we have these really energetic teen boys <laughs> and we need to get them to sit quietly in one place for meditation. What are we going to do? And that's really where a lot of the physical practice that we know today in the West came from because they know that they needed the body to move in order to be still. But at the same time, it's like we were actually meditating through the, the asana, the physical practice too. So it was this interesting play of um, getting people to be still, but it was actually the movement that got us to that place and vice versa, right? Oh, that's crazy. That's funny. I didn't know that about Ashtanga, that that's how it originated. Yeah. And and there is actual energetic release that comes from very kind of specific movements. Does it need to be very specific? Or I've always done this thing that I had learned in a workshop a million years ago called intuitive yoga, where I just kind of Mm -hmm. see what needs to be worked out and and where to go with it. But I've also been learning about very precise. We do some, some Buddhism in joy school with kirtan and mudras and, and, and how it all needs to be rather precise in order for the energetic combustion to take place whatever's meant to happen from from that specific you know I have been sitting with this for a long time and I because I did learn the techniques of dance and you had to do things a certain way in order to execute your leg get so high and and to be this performer and then I stepped into Pilates and teaching yoga where what, what you're saying too is like in order to get to an enlightenment, you have to have these certain mudras, right? And how to hold your fingers in meditation or, or you know, how to sit with your posture. And I think of that for me and how I'm perceiving and how I'm shifting and how I teach and facilitate is that these are beautiful tools to get there. 
but they're not the way, mm-hmm. like capital T. They're not the way to get there. There are ways, there are possibilities to get there. And so we, that's what I struggled with when I was teaching yoga was that it was so, it was so strict, but really what it's doing is it's creating this really strong template for people who need that template, right? To give them more of that masculine energy if they need structure and form in order to get into that gateway of being more in the, that feminine, more passive, receptive, intuitive state. And so where I'm leading and where I'm really excited about these days is, yes, have those tools in your toolbox with the structure and the form, but ultimately we're moving into that space of being receptive, being more of listening to my body, right? Listening to your body in that, what do I need to do right now? Do I need to do some down dogs and push-ups? Yeah, sometimes I do, but some days I just need to lie on the floor and and be connected to the floor and breathe into my belly. And some days I need to like, ah, like scream it out and dance it out and get really excited and get it amped up. And so that's ultimately what it is, is that gateway to receiving that message within yourself uh-huh. and not like follow these different structures and forms. I'm so happy you spoke to that because it's something that I, I'm never really clear on, on whether or not yeah. to, to really focus on the precision. And I guess there's a place for both is what you're saying. I do. I think there's a place for both. And, you know, I see a lot of my colleagues in the yoga world that they really want to honor the the history of it, the sacredness and this precision as you're speaking of. And I, and I do too, like I want it to be, I want there to be integrity, but then I also want to know that there's this, it's, it's a paradox, right? It's, it's that and not this and the only way, but it's this and also that. And so we're just simply tracking it. We're not trying to change it. We're just observing it because I really truly believe that awareness is the transformation. So just the noticing is the shift, right? We don't have to be type A, which I'm like a recovering type A person, (laughs) right? We don't have to be like, okay, here's this pattern. What am I going to do? Like, let me do 50s, you know, leg extensions or whatever to break this pattern. No, it's just simply noticing, listening again, and, and being with it. And kind of what we talked about with the letters, right? It just wants to be seen and heard and felt, and so as soon as you start to listen, and maybe you even have a dialogue like you would with your writing fear, hey, hip, what's going on there, right? You might say, ah, oh, why, why, why have we been carrying this heavy load shoulder, right? So you start to have a little bit of a dialogue with it, and it will just start to unwind over time. And you might notice that the sensation moves or dissipates. But that's the, that's the essence of what Movement 109 is through the chakras, through the groundwork. And then there's a whole other part of the ceremony where it's dancing. It's freeform dancing. Again, we move through the chakras again. We move through different songs that evoke different emotions to once we've recognized those patterns in the groundwork, then we make choices through our movement, bigger, more expansive movement to release them, to invoke something new to create space for something new. So it's it's more of that celebration, that ceremony of of creation. It sounds so lovely. Oh my goodness. 
I would love oh, to do yes. that. So when you're asking, hey, shoulder, why are you carrying all that? It's not even like you have to get a clear answer. You don't have to know. Oh. It's just shoulder feels recognized and, and felt some compassion there. And that just allows it to release. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and just and being really curious with it, going in with a gentleness and a curiosity rather than, oh, I must change this shoulder right now. Right. It's really just talking to it like you would your child or your best friend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they touched on that as well at the Greg Raiden retreat that our, whatever that emotional cocktail, wherever it gets stored, there actually are correlations. Women have breast issues for specific reasons related to that. And men have prostate issues for specific, you know, the, the, where it's stored makes a difference. And it's no coincidence that heart disease is the number one killer. I have a minor heart issue. I don't like to give it much energy or attention, but I've had the opportunity and what I do to work with just countless a-list healers and energy workers and psychics and i can't tell you how many times they've tuned into this physical issue with my heart and told yeah. me it's the result of heartbreak you know early early experiences of heartbreak from abandonment rejection lack of self-worth and so many other people that i know who are healers and and have this this passion around uh, you know raising vibration basically have have similar issues around the heart i think that's a a pretty common thing to happen yeah and i mean we can look at it from a scientific standpoint we could also look at it which it sounds like um you got you received in this workshop we can look at it through louise hay where she looks at it on metaphysical level and her book heal your life is great she even has like a um what would it be like a little dictionary right like Mm -hmm. you look up your body part and it gives you an yeah, glossary. Thank you. And but then we can also look at it from, um, well, so many different ways. I, I've lost my train of thought there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> it left. But we can look at it. Oh, I know. Thank you. Thank you, brain, for not leaving me. But we can also look at it from the Eastern philosophy in Chinese. What you were just speaking about your heart is in Chinese medicine. Um, this area, and also in, in the subtle body system, this area, the lungs, the heart is grief, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can look in Chinese medicine, they really believe that our organs carry the energy of emotions too. So there's, and that's what's so cool. When you look at all of these different ways of looking at it, energetically, scientifically, from this other Eastern philosophy standpoint, and how they all overlap, it's like, well, there's some truth there. Right. Mm. And they're all sort of helping and supporting each other and backing each other up. They are. Really, yeah, they really are. I we I teach a lot of Eckhart Tolle in joy school and mm. even his work with the, the pain body and understanding this, I think, makes us more receptive to feeling those emotions because, you know, we, we have this resistance to wanting to feel anything that hurts. So we keep packing it in there when the, the digestion of the pain body occurs, when we can release it and, and have love and compassion to ourselves around that release so you're right it all feeds together beautifully it does it's so wonderful to see that so let's assume that most of the listeners have something they're ready to let go of we're calling this the season of letting go it could be a person people 
had to do some of that this year. It's been really devastating, mm-hmm. actually. Could be a job, a habit, a home, some aspect of your lifestyle that's no longer suiting you. Might be big, might be tiny. We're just going to look at what in your life is right to let go. And not to completely put you on the spot, I have a little bit written down, but maybe we could go through a process for writing a letter to the grief around letting this go. Yeah. Um, and I also want to add something a little bit to it too, because when you're speaking to it, I was like, yes, I love ceremony. So we're going to, we can talk about the letter experience, but then also what to do with it after. So, you know, I, I share a little bit of this in my book and I don't remember word for word what I said in the book, but it's just getting to the essence of what you're grieving, what you're letting go of. So let's use an example of a person that we love dearly. We can look at it and say, okay, I love this person, but what also in the bigger and more expansive way, what did this person represent to me? Right. And so acknowledging that, honoring that person, but then also seeing, okay, there's also some stuff there that this person represented that I'm ready to like, ready to release. Maybe the, the first side of that is, the joy that, you know, that they brought you and you're sad that it's there, but there's also something there that maybe there was a little bit of a dissonance in your relationship that you're ready to release that brought something out of you. Right. Um, so looking at how this, what this person represents and and for you and the bigger picture of things and making sense of that, honoring them, maybe you do need to do, maybe it is an acknowledgement and say, Oh, I need to do a little bit of work around this. Uh, and then and writing a letter to that person or that situation and then seeing them again, releasing them in a really loving way in that ceremony, maybe saying something to them that you never did get to say to them. So making some sort of amends. And then at the other, on the end of it, and this is where I love the ceremony part of it, is to burn it, to burn that away. Or maybe if you want to ground in it, you bury it. Yeah. So think of that, what we do to the body, right? We cremate or we, we put it in the earth. So whatever resonates most with you, what resonates for me is the burning because you're watching it and you're having this experience and you, you can use that as a meditation to watch it burn and, and really truly honor that and let it go into the ether. Let her or his spirit go into the ether and let it release and transmute into something new. For, for that spirit, but also for yourself. Right. And that's all yeah. done just on your side. You're not showing the person the letter. You're not reading the letter to them. This is all for your own closure and, and moving on. Just that yeah. fire is transmutation. So, yeah, transmuting yeah. the energy of your connection to that person. Yeah. And, you know, I, I loved what you just kind of confirmed. And, I, and it makes me want to share a little bit something else that I didn't share in the book. Because... We don't realize how much power we have with our words, especially writing the letters. So I did a lot of writer letters that I never sent mm-hmm. as a child. So not only did I write in my journal, but I wrote like letters of people. So when I was early 20s in 2001, my father was not in my life. And I knew that I might not see him again. At that point, I didn't think that I would see him. I didn't know if he was arrested. I didn't know if he was dead. I didn't know if he was in jail. I already said that arrested. I didn't know if he was in the hospital. I didn't know what his 
what was actually happening out there in the world with him. But I knew for me that I needed to release him. And so in January 8th in 2001, in my journal, I actually wrote a letter to him and I released him. I never sent it. I didn't have an address to send it to. It just sat in my journal. Now, a handful of years later, 2010, he came back into my life. 2009. 2009, he came back into my life. So eight years later, he came back into my life. We did a lot of healing. But January 8th, I wrote him January 8th, 2001. January 8th, 2013, he died. Oh, my goodness. And I didn't put it all together until I went back to write this book and I was looking at my journals and I was realizing the power that I had there of releasing him echoed years later. Yeah, or but it, it was gave me premonition, maybe, or just yeah, some, yeah, something, some energy around that never date. Know with time and space, right? Right. It's a mystery, but I like to believe that there was something that I was able to release him back then. But it gave me this beautiful opportunity to have this healing with him before I actually let his body go into the next realm. Right. So when we think that we're writing this letter to a person that we may never send know that you're doing something even more powerful. Even if it does sit in your journal, you burn it or you bury it. It's still, it it really is transmuting into something. Yeah, it's true. And, and just going into that feeling space, that's that energy can transfer. I had experiences where in, in workshops that I've led where we've written a letter to a person and the next day they'll reach out, you know, after years of no contact without even, you know, anything being extended from the person who wrote the letter. Yeah. So. And then that's like a whole other rabbit hole of quantum physics that I'm just like fascinated right. by too. Yeah. <laughs> like how we're so connected there, that entanglement theory. Oh, cool yeah. stuff. It's, yeah, it's cool, cool stuff. And then I, I've noticed that you always wrap up these letters to the emotion, like in the case of the letter to grief, you would wrap up by feeling into grief wants me to experience the story of. Mm, Why? Oh, yeah, at the end, the yeah. little journal prompt. Uh-huh. Yeah. What What is that about? <laughs> That's just <laughs> like really getting that big picture overview so you can yeah. have the lesson and, and know yeah. what this was meant to show you so that we don't have to repeat it and wait for the, the two by four, ten by four. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, you know, I close each chapter around each emotion with it. It's essentially a journal prompt, right? Like yeah. what, what did, if you did all of this, you went on this journey with me, with my story I gave you a couple of those somatic and expanded awareness practices. Now that you've done a little bit of processing, that journal prompt is leaving it open-ended so that you can just kind of flow and go and really make friends with them, right? Make friends with what we call in the, the book, the shadow emotions, right? Those darker places we don't necessarily want to hang out in, but then also invoke those lighter emotions. Right. So, yeah. The, the old maxim, once you realize that whatever you needed to forgive for, actually, you have gratitude for. I can't remember now. I've said it yeah. on this podcast before. But yeah, it, it's always happening for us and not to us. Exactly. Yeah. Shifting from that victimhood to this is actually like remembering our soul again shows this karma, right? It's not happening to us. It's happening for us and with us. 
and we're a co-creator of it. And and in the shadow emotions, right, where we're always trying to flee from it, <laughs> right? No, we can actually dance with it, right? We can actually, there, those energies are necessary. We need to get angry about things sometimes, right? We need to get angry because that's going to, that has that element of fire that transmutes into something, you know, more expansive, right? Like something is making us angry for a reason because it's not a good situation. So we're going to use that energy of fire to, to, to do better in the world, right? Um, so we need those, those emotions yeah. of grief and anger and everything. They're actually there to serve us. And the things that caused them, you know, we, we needed all those things to happen to us just for exactly. whatever our dharma is that we're here to play out. I remember being exactly. with uh, John Holland. He's often told this story, so I'm not telling it out of turn. He tells it from stages about how his um, alcoholic father created such a fear in the household that he had to develop his intuitive gifts to know when he heard his father's car pulling down the street he had to tune into what kind of mood he was in to know whether or not he had to grab his little brother and hide in the closet and it was from that that situation that he you know has created his whole life around his intuitive gifts that he shares with the world so yeah yeah it's an example i go back to sometimes yeah, and I share a little bit of that in my book as well, where I had to read the signs of my father, where he would shift, that wind would shift. Mm -hmm. But this is where I got, I got, I felt challenged by was because all of a sudden I was very intuitive, but I thought that I was making the things happen because oh, yeah. I was so in tune with that. And then I was actually scared because I thought, oh, I'm thinking this and bad things are going to happen. But really, I was just really in tune with the energy. And um, I'm just kind of speaking into anybody out there who, who also might have struggled with that and, and to make friends with intuition in that sense, right? If you did deal with trauma and you were able to kind of pick up on that energy before it happened, um, that I think is a really, that's not something that I hear a lot of people talking about too much with being so intuitive and then thinking that we were the ones who created it is, can be really scary to think about right. and overwhelming. Yeah. Even kids that maybe, you know, weren't especially intuitive. That's just a, a part of childhood. We think that everything is our fault. Everything is mm -hmm. built around us. So to take yeah. that to that next level where you're, you're sensing things happening and then they happen, of course, it's going to seem like a cause and effect. Yeah. 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 Because I think some of us are definitely just born more sensitive, whether that's in an intuitive way or just a, a feeling of all the yeah. emotions and the chaos yeah. around us. I love yeah. the, the science that you touch on about the um, the sympathetic nervous system, where our fight, flight, and uh, flee response is, and then how we can deliberately activate the parasympathetic nervous system is more about resting and digesting. Um, is that where the, the exercise where you talk about like using your hands to squeeze your, your legs and your feet and your arms, is that one way to activate that other part of us that's going to take us into a more, more nurturing position when yeah. we feel activated? Yeah, and that one specifically, like doing little squeezes, those little hugs. I mean, just think about, you know, what 
this is very intuitive is that we, we want our bodies, our nervous system wants us to be in rest and digest. We intuitively want to be there, but we've been conditioned over time. And I'm not even just saying our specific lives, but just, you know, the sympathetic nervous system was there to keep us alive back in the day. We were either going to fight for dinner or become somebody else's dinner, <laughs> something else's dinner, right? So it was there for, for survival, but because our world has shifted so dramatically um, with not that always being a literal threat for a lot. I mean, fortunately in, in our situation, but it can be in other parts of the world. But our our brain is still like looking for that. It's mm -hmm. still looking for that. Where should I be afraid of? Um, and so it is a conditioning that we need to recondition. Our normal state should be in rest and digest. And if, you know, just a general note is just think about those things then when you were a child, right? Like when you were going to bed. So we were talking about the squeezing, the hugs, the very gentle. There's also like the gentle, like rubbing of your arms. Like think about like when your mom or your dad or somebody loved you was like rubbing your back before you're going to bed, right? Those places that really brought you to that space of calm, of peace. And that's all we're doing is soothing ourselves, remembering our breath, right? Our breath is huge. Our breath is our life partner. It's literally with us from the moment we enter this body till the moment we leave this body. And so when we can use the breath as a tool to guide us to that place of rest and digest, right? If we slow down our breath, speaking of heart, right? If our heart's going, right? Fight or flight. But guess what's on the other side of your heart? Your lungs. And if your lungs are taking these really short breaths, right, hyperventilating, and it's all right up here, right around the heart, but you could actually breathe all the way down, right? We have the diaphragm to send the breath down and expand our lungs. So when we take those slow, deep breaths, get what, guess what the heart also does? It starts to get that message. It's like, oh, like, oh, it's slowing down too. I think of like the heart as like being surrounded by these two pillows. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And it's like, oh, if the pillows are relaxed, you're like your head, right? Like if your pillows are like your head just wants to rest into it, right? So you're providing that space for your heart to rest. So the more that we can find those places that bring our body to that restful state, our intuition knows how to get there. We just don't let, our brain just doesn't let us get there sometimes. That's a lovely visual of your lungs being pillows for your heart. Yeah, I would definitely use that. <laughs> yeah, if they're like short and like rigid and they're just like taking those really short breaths right up here in the upper lungs, right? You don't want to rest on that. Right. <laughs> That's beautiful. So tell us the difference between anger and resentment. Hmm. I think if, I think anger, I feel that anger is one of those things that it's more of a reaction to something, right? Something happens to you as a quote unquote, as we were discussing, and you're, you have that, that response, that reaction, Major. right? Yeah. To tell. yeah. And maybe, and, and we might blow up at somebody, but it also might be internal reaction, right? Like maybe if somebody cuts you off and in traffic and you don't maybe you do flip your you flip the bird to them but maybe you also like oh why is that and then you have this whole inner dialogue and you're, re you're reacting internally too 
So that's anger. And now I feel that we keep having those experiences over and over again, these anger experiences. And if we don't actually deal with them, that's where resentment starts to come alive, right? So we get angry at our partner for, again, leaving the dirty laundry on the floor, right? Like that silly, that silly thing, the socks are on the floor again, <laughs> right? And, and it turns into like an annoyance first. Then over time, we have a conversation, Does still doesn't make the hamper. Now we're getting angry, right? And now we've given up. We're just going to always pick them up and throw them into the hamper. And, but we're always going to sort of resent it. Like I now am the one that has to do it, right? So it's, it, I feel that resentment is when we don't deal with anger in a healthy way. It buries deep inside of us. We pretend everything's okay. Oh, it's all good. But I still hate you inside. Right. And not dealing with anger in a healthy way is is really finding a very kind of a, a balance to tread because always exploding in anger clearly is not healthy, even though you are releasing it then, you are allowing it to flow through you and definitely not expressing your anger is very unhealthy. That's where it stays stored. Do you think the people who have that quick trigger probably just have so much stored that it's just, it keeps popping up because there's just a lot in there that if they ever could sit and deal properly with that anger and have compassion for themselves around it and find the right ways to release it, that it might um, bring better balance there. Absolutely. I mean, we can look at the person who's, you know, hot tempered and is just always fuming, right? There's something else underneath. It wasn't just because they got caught off in traffic. There was something that happened earlier that day or maybe it's triggering a whole other story from, you know, childhood or, or, you know, a few years ago, right? So when we get to that place and we're, we're just with the, there are tempers there, there's something else there that we haven't been dealing with. For sure. For my, yeah. And for my story, I was more internal. Like I pretended everything was fine and I really truly believed everything was fine, but I buried anger so deeply that it came out in urinary tract infections, which is like the element of fire. It was burning. I was like literally pissed off at my partners. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Cause I wasn't expressing that. And so I feel that anger, like I said before, is a good emotion to feel because it's telling us we're not feeling good here. Let's have a conversation to activate how we want to feel on the other side of it. But if we're not doing it in a saying that full body yes in a healthy way, then it's just going to go somewhere else, whether it's harming another person through our words or actions, or it's harming ourselves internally. So I feel that there are healthy ways to express anger, right? Maybe it is having a really uncomfortable conversation with somebody not through yelling at them, but just saying, hey, what you said really hurt me so that you don't get to that place where you're screaming at them, right? Um, it might be you can't yell at that person or have that com comfortable conversation. You go home and you put a really angry song on and dance and scream. I mean, there's sometimes, like just recently, and nobody believes this because I'm so like calm and chill and happy usually. But like the other day, and honestly, I don't even remember. Oh, I do remember why. I was driving and I had a car issue and I was so frustrated. And I know it was just like the hood would not stay down. And I was driving and I had to keep pulling off the side of the road and like 
put it down, but something was wrong with the latch. But there was a whole other story of why that was happening that I was blaming my mom for. (laughs) (laughs) But I, so, but I was mad in the moment and I just started driving and I screamed at the top of my lungs. I was like, and I felt really good right after. So I didn't call and scream at her, but, and I didn't fully process it until after I screamed, but like screaming in a safe way could be an expression of anger, right? Um, It might be writing an angry letter. So there's like lots of different ways. Maybe it's going for a really long, aggressive run. Maybe it's boxing. I don't know. I think that each person has to figure out how do they need to physically express the energy or maybe they become an activist. Maybe they're really angry about a movement and they want to change it so that that's how they can do it with a fist in the air and holding signs up and marching on DC. Channeling it toward a a healthy outcome, healthy cause. Yeah. Yeah. Nice distinction. I I wanted to touch on that with you. And also guilt and shame are not the same thing. Yeah. I think similar uh, of what we were saying of like, if anger isn't dealt with, then resentment builds. I feel the same as guilty is, you know, I did something bad and shame is I am bad. So if we have all of these moments where we're feeling guilty, I didn't do this again. Oh, I'm such, you know, we're having this dialogue of the I shoulds and feeling guilty because I didn't do this X, Y, and Z. Then that dialogue will over time shift to not just, I didn't do that thing, but it's because I am a bad person. Right. Right. Yeah. Same, same relationship to Mm -hmm. to the anger and the resentment. One is just stored up more consequential because of all the lack of expression. Yeah. And, you know, I think also, I mean, it's our personal experience, but I also think it's a conditioning too. Um, witnessing our families, um, like us, you and I being women, like witnessing our mothers and our grandmothers and their inner dialogue that they're saying out loud, right? It might be like, for me, I witnessed my grandmother saying, oh, I'm not good at this, right? She's always telling me that, but also, but then sort of saying I could do anything, right? But it was conflicting because I was seeing her pattern of herself and I was receiving that, even though she was telling me I could do anything, but I was still unconsciously receiving that pattern um, and carrying that shame. Or it also could manifest a, you know, mother or grandmother, whoever family figure um, telling you, don't do this, this, that, you know, like directing it at you. And then you become that. Right. So I think it's also a conditioning from, from people around us. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we make sense of the world. We come here just mm-hmm. wanting to know what is this world about? How do I function here? Yeah. What are the rules? And we absorb all of that so early on from people yeah. who maybe didn't really have the best perception of what the rules were and what the definitions were. Yeah, and I think that that's what's happening right now collectively is that we're realizing all of the various traumas that our families, our ancestors carried and didn't have the time or space or the permission to deal with it, and they just passed it on to us unconsciously. And I think that there's so many of us right now who are waking up and saying, ooh, we don't have to do that anymore. And I love this saying, um, when you heal yourself, you're healing seven generations behind and ahead of yourself. 
Because I, I truly believe that it's like on a quantum level, but it's also, I mean, even just writing this book that I did, having my mother, my grandmother read it and having them process their own stuff was truly because I stood in my power of healing myself. They might not do the work that I did, but they're getting something from it and they're starting to do a little bit of their own healing. Always heard that as well, that it just travels through the DNA. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. So you you take us through all those shadow emotions into the light, into writing to our trust and patience and enthusiasm and inspiration, confidence and strength, love and connection. Are there any special little uh little entry points that you'd want to share? Uh, for listeners who want to write those letters and really connect with those uh, lighter, more positive emotions? Um, Let me think about that. I like that question. I think, you know, writing these letters, whether they are in the shadows or the the light emotions, it's a celebration. And I think of more so in the, the lighter emotions, right? Really looking at that as an opportunity, as a celebration of you and embodying who you are. Right. So you can write a letter to confidence. You can write a letter to gratitude and appreciation. You can write a letter to joy and really recognize. Right. We have this whole we have this huge movement the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years of gratitude practice. Right. Mm -hmm. There's gratitude journals all over the place. But we can also make it about any of these lighter emotions that we want to invoke more of is celebrating them. Right. Being grateful for all that we are, who we are. and you know, for joy, I think it's really remembering because we're on do joy. Uh, that one, I think, is really the essence of everything is is remembering that joy is humming underneath everything. Even in the darkest moments in our life where we're grieving, joy is still there, just waiting to be seen and heard and felt again. And kind of being like, hey, you want to come play? Right? <laughs> if we're going to personify joy, I feel like joy is just like, when are you going to see me? Like, let's do this. Yeah. Right? So leaning in and remembering in that acronym of play, remembering what joy is for you. And that might be tapping in and talking to your inner child where it's like, Hey, inner child, what were those things that we used to do when we were younger? Right? Like we used to chase the fireflies in the summertime. We used to, you know, run around in the woods, whatever it would be, bring that into your life again. You know, and you might feel really silly at first if you haven't tapped into it in a really long time. When you start to lean into those kind of remembering the joy that you used to have as an inner child, when you start to tap into that again, you might feel really ridiculous. And actually, I would say the more ridiculous you feel, the better it should be, right? <laughs> the better, more joyful you'll be at the end. For sure. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, y'all. So you have two choices on your home play. You can write a letter to Joy or go through that other exercise that we mentioned earlier, depending on where you are. If you're feeling like you want to play with some of your shadow emotions or you just want to connect to that joy in that playful place. And we always say at Joy School, joy is the full expression of every emotion. There can be joy and anger, joy and grief, joy and sadness. Joy is a freedom feeling. It's just being okay with whatever's there, whatever you're Absolutely. feeling. So. 
Tell the listeners how they can find you, Phoebe, and what's coming up for you and your book and your trainings. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I have a website, my name, phoebeleona.com, and everything that's happening there is is over there. Um, I'm also on social media, Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, it's phoebeleona.love. And what is happening with the book? I'm really excited. It's been out. You can find it really anywhere books are sold online. You can also find it through my website with all the links of where it is. But I am recording an audiobook, and probably by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be releasing it very soon. So just stand by, just keep checking in because I have had a lot of requests to do the audiobook. So that's coming out. And then I also have a retreat in Costa Rica in November, November 12th through the 19th. If it's not sold out already, um, I would love to offer anybody to come and, you know, join me there. I am teaching the somatic practice that we talked about, Movement 109, and I'm also bringing in these exercises that we discussed today in the book um, as different tools and practices throughout the retreat. So... That's also happening at my website, but I also have through the nomadcollective.org, which is my company, my retreat company. And these exercises, I mean, you heard a lot about them here. You can go do them on your own. They are always so much more supercharged in group. We, we experience yes. that all the time in, in Joy School. People can't believe the difference of the support of an energetic community that's all yeah. sort of gathered together with the same purpose. Uh, yeah, and especially since we've all been living on Zoom for the past couple of years, to be in person on a location that will is like Costa Rica. Have you been to Costa Rica? Yes, it's so yes. beautiful. You know, it's just like this beautiful womb-like place where you just like feel so held, and you can really be your authentic, vulnerable self there. And it's a great space to transform. So I'm excited to be to be there again. I love that. Well, thank you so much for playing with me today. It was a delight. Love you, you listeners. You have your home play. I want to hear about how you do and um, go connect with Phoebe. Much love. Joy comes in many flavors, but they all start with you being full on glorious you. If you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey, find me at lisamccourt.com. And as you do your joy this week, remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. Thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. Much love. Whispered now that I'm here, you can choose what I
Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.